So what did you think of Chrysalis? That's a stupid question. Thanks, Patrick. I want to see a spinoff where, like, I want Voyager to be these four on a ship impersonating Starfleet officers and just getting into adventures. Well, it's funny you say that because that does not happen. But there is a multi-episode arc of Star Trek Enterprise, let's say, where they travel back in time. Really? And take over the enterprise listen i know nothing about enterprise so it's po- it's possible so did you expect to see these characters again no i didn't and i actually like this episode a lot more than statistical probabilities i don't know if it's just simply because again this is a reprise the actors are have very good chemistry with each other they it was kind of nice to see these little again they're 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 a sitcom version of star trek in a way but yeah they're they are much better established in this episode and frankly the plot of this episode i like i this was an episode that i thought had all of these really gross and creepy undercurrents to it uh, until the very end when he's having the conversation with miles and the ending of the episode I think recognize that this like it was intentionally creepy. I would say, I mean, Bashir is taking notes from Jordy's playbook in this episode. I mean, I I kind of agree with you and kind of disagree with you because I think that Chrysalis for me is always a problematic episode because of like you said the the, the creepy undertones yeah. to it. And you know, Bashir has always been a character that that has had some semblance of loneliness about him. And it's never, you know, to the show's credit, I don't think it's ever something that the show has spelled out before. And he's not defined by it. Yeah, yet. and he's not defined by it, right. But Again, in the way that Jordy was defined partially by loneliness. Yes. But in this episode, the sh- you know, this episode starts out with him trying to make plans with O'Brien, trying to latch on to the plans that Kira and, and Odo have. And, you know establishing to to be a little bit of a pushy loner. And I don't know yeah, that that really works very well. He's going with, yeah, I mean, he's going up to a couple dressed up, obviously going out and Bashir is not that socially inept. Right. And, and so I think that that's part of my problem with it, that it pushes Bashir into a, I think it contorts Bashir's character to be a little bit more, receptive to the idea of a relationship with someone who is obviously in no way ready for a relationship of any type and and even if she was he is still going way too fucking fast i mean this is somebody who a few days into meeting her suggests a week on risa that's right (laughs) that that's moving forward even for somebody who was ready to date I, I think so because to me what what it i mean the the scene that still sticks out in my head is you know, kind of halfway through the episode, when when Sabrina is is in his quarters after they fall asleep on on his couch, yeah. you, know, you know, nothing happened. Of course, I don't think that they even you know kissed or anything like that. And you know, Sabrina is a character that is basically a non-entity. And I think that you know, Bashir to some degree is projecting his wants, needs, yeah. and desires onto Sabrina. And that's something that people do in general. You know, that that's not, you know, that is not a, a controversial statement. But And it's not hurt by the fact that, let's face it, she does feel a sense of gratitude and that she owes him in some way. So, you know, through which which she turns at, through the episode, I think she begins to realize that that should be limited in certain ways. But part of the reason I think she isn't as pushy away is because she feels really guilty in a way. 
I mean, maybe. I I don't know that we get enough information Mm. about Sabrina's motivations or internal life to really make that sort of determination, at least not towards until the end of the episode. And I think that that's, that's my primary reason with it is that for most of the episode, Sabrina is not a character in her own right. She is a projection of what Bashir wants and needs. And obviously, like you said, Bashir's going too fast. He's making yeah. plans to go to Riza with her for a week, these kind of things. And let's not forget that this is a woman who from from everything that the that statistical probabilities and this episode has said has been in a catatonic nonverbal state yeah. for most of her life if the if the explanation uh you know from Dr. Bashir I presume and also from statistical probabilities where the only the only parents in the federation that are desperate enough to send their children to shady genetic modifiers yeah. are the parents of, of, of children that have developmental disabilities. Yeah. It's very possible that Sabrina was, was, you know, profoundly, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a polite way to say it, developmentally challenged, you know, something like that. And maybe even autistic or, or very autistic um, was maybe never verbal and that her genetic modifications, while it made her extremely intelligent yeah. and it seems like more intelligent than Bashir even, this is a person that has never had the opportunity to develop any sort of emotional intelligence yeah. whatsoever. Because her intellect in a way either was not developed enough pre, pre the modifications in order to you know, develop that sense or it, it was in a way overdeveloped and her brain is moving faster than anything else can handle. And so everything is extraordinarily intellectual for her. Now she does pick up on everything very quickly because she is that smart, but yeah, yeah I mean, she, she teaches herself to talk in about 20 minutes and she's singing and all that kind of stuff. But, but to me, what, you know, I, I I'm explaining, you know, who Sabrina is only because I think that it's important to put that context in there because, of course, you know, Bashir doesn't really take that into consideration at all. And my entire problem with this episode is that Bashir has shown himself in this episode to be someone that I never thought he was. Yeah. And, yes, he's getting caught up in Sabrina and she's very beautiful and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, she is still his patient. They do that hand-wavy thing where, you know, he passes her over to the other yeah. doctor, etc. But, but I think even in context of that scene, like, he says that to O'Brien and both of them know that that's kind of bullshit. I mean, when Sabrina is believed to be catatonic again later in the episode – uh, Bashir's helping out with it. He's looking at her charts. He's talking to the doctor. Like, he is having just as, you know, he is still de facto acting as her doctor. So, really, right. yeah. Right. And I think that that's really what my problem with it is, is that, you know, Bashir has never really shown himself to be that inappropriate. And, you know, for him to go down this road of, you know, treating Sabrina as an object, really, and not taking her feelings into consideration, really, at all. Well, and just assume. And the thing is, too, like, even if Sabrina was into it, even if Sabrina was receptive to this, I think that there's two things there that really upset me about it. Number one is that, you know, Bashir knows that this is someone who has been under a great deal of change yeah. has never really had an opportunity to develop emotionally or, or or intellectually and so it's inappropriate just for that reason yeah. alone i you mean know, bashir is treating her as a 
emotionally mature woman and she's not i mean let's face it bashir is pretty much the first person she really has has ever talked to isn't he yeah (laughs) yeah like she she she, talks to bashir and she talks to the crew yeah patrick sabrina no uh, patrick uh, what's her name patrick lauren lauren and jack yeah and that's it yeah and she's only I mean, she, she, while she wasn't able to completely communicate with the gang, you know, they were, she does know and feel very familiar with them, a little too familiar as she begins to realize, but. Yeah. And I think that that's really, I don't know. I mean, I just think again that, that Bashir is being. Listen, when, when she falls asleep on him, he shouldn't have just said, well, I'm going to go to sleep too. Like, that's gross. Like, no, like. You put a blanket on her and you're sleeping on your own couch that night. Like that that's you know, that that was the weirdness of that. That is weird. And I yeah. think that I mean it there's there's I don't know, because there's two interpretations of this. There's either the interpretation that Bashir is as emotionally immature as she is, and so he's not realizing how inappropriate this is, which I don't buy, right? Yeah. I mean, this is not a person who yeah, certainly back in the first and second seasons, you know, he was pursuing uh, uh, Jadzia, you know, yeah. a bit more than was appropriate. He was also very young. But this and, is somebody who, yeah, grew to understand, the, grew to value his friendship with Jadzia, and you know, he's already learned that lesson, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I think so, and I mean, I guess that you could make the argument that there always has been that minor strain in Bashir's personality or his character that he doesn't necessarily always listen to what women are telling him. Mm. Then again, I think that Jadzia... You know, if you think back to those episodes, you know, she found it amusing. Yeah. But I think that, that you know, if you think back to, to how Jadzia approached their, their sort of interactions in the first and yeah. second season, she was amused by it, you know, and, and, because and, and flattered by it. Jadzia is somebody who had, had, she was shown to have had a lot of boyfriends throughout and, you know, she enjoyed the company of, you know, other men and she was much more... Uh, experienced in that way and so took it in stride and you know was able to be amused and flattered and maybe flirt back a little just to pass the time but you know n- was able to delineate and put boundaries on that yeah that's, that's those are skills that uh serena just hasn't had the time to develop yet right and i think that that's really what it comes down to for me is that you know bashir has some responsibility here as well and if Jadzia in the in the you know second episode of the show or or whatever you know had had said to Bashir, look, I don't find this cute. I don't find this appropriate. Yeah. Please stop flirting with me. I don't have any interest in you. I th- I I think Bashir would have stopped doing it. I mean, when Ezra and says that to him, he stops doing. He that. stops doing. Yeah. It. Now, of course, this is a man who's six years older, but still, I think that even the the, the Bashir that we knew in the first season yeah. would have stopped. This and so feel, well, it it feels kind of like I mean not a retcon necessarily, but it feels like trying to fit the character into a story they wanted to tell rather than well, it it <laughs> seems like the she quirk episode, you know, that it's we need to put this the, character the, the what now exactly um quirkette that never happens <laughs> um in both cases the character had a much regressive role that they viewpoint than they were at at that point. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it, it it does feel a little bit like this is an episode where the show is not running out of ideas necessarily, but it, it it's revisiting things that I don't really know that we needed to revisit and doing it in a way which makes characters that we've come yeah. to, to know and care about out to be creeps. Yeah, or at least really stupid. Right. I, I guess that's the... 
that again i like and i do like that again the show recognizes that but you're right it doesn't quite and it maybe doesn't go quite far enough frankly the ending is the thing that bothers me the most how you know they have this nice little conversation and he gives her a kiss on the cheek and then she leaves and the way she turns away like all i can think about is this is a woman who tried to pretend to be catatonic for a little while in order to get away from him she can accept a kiss on the cheek and let him you know leave with hope in his heart if you know because that's just five minutes and then she'll take a shower as soon as she gets on the ship like that's yeah i i it is i mean we do need to talk about the fact that she pretended to be catatonic to get away from bashir (laughs) and part of that makes sense of course because again she's not emotionally mature no it's like a kid hiding but at the same time yeah well before we talk about that i i I think i want to talk about the structure of crystals a little bit because we're going to be talking about treachery faith in the great river in a few minutes and that episode has a very humorous b plot and this episode has no b plot this episode is all about Bashir and Sabrina and a little bit about the other gang. Right? And that's the closest this show has to comedy relief is in the way it's, you know, using them. Right. And even there is an element of tragedy because it Serena is getting to the point where this shit isn't amusing her anymore. Like now that she can actually fully deal with it. Oh, my God. Shut up, Jack. You know? Yeah. I mean, Jack is kind of horrible, but (laughs) I I mean, I I think that, you know, what I'm getting at is that I think the structure of this episode needed a B plot or needed a little bit of relief from this, because part of the reason why I think I'm reacting so strongly to the 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 sexist gross you know alpha male undertones to yeah. the Bashir and Sabrina storyline and I even loathe to call it the Bashir and Sabrina storyline because frankly, Serena Sab- oh Serena God I don't even know her fucking name <laughs> that's how much the show doesn't care about her that's that fair. that Serena doesn't have any agency at all in this plot and I think that part of the reason why it feels so oppressive and feels so gross yeah. is because we get no relief from it. Yeah, I mean, the only way that she... I mean, if there was any episode of the show that didn't need a B-plot, it was Treachery Faith in the Great right? River. I could watch Odo and Wayun in a runabout for in 45 time, minutes yeah. and not have a problem with it at all. Yeah, in a way, Julian and Serena don't have the greatest chemistry, which is kind of the point of it. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, when when she is talk when, when when it becomes clear that this treatment is going to stick and that she is going to, you know, she says, "Oh well, what do what do I do? Pick one of those stars and make a life for myself." And that's what she ends up doing. I mean, she needs to spend a couple of years. Just she's going to work at a research station. She's probably going to do very well. She'll find herself under the wing of a doctor who is probably not going to be so creepy to her, um, and she's going to. F- figure her shit out, you know, whether she, you know, she will probably do well at work. Maybe she will make some friends. Maybe she will find some, but like, but, but, but that's the thing. Like she needs to go through all of those stages. She kind of needs to get to that point. She and Bashir are not equals. No, no, they're not equals. And I don't think they're going to be equals for a long time. And, and I don't mean, I, 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 I'm assuming you mean this too, but in terms I, of agency and, you know, right. In terms of emotional intelligence, yeah. and those kind of things, not, Again, not equals in terms of like, actually, are they equals? Cause Yes, of course they are. But <laughs> um, uh, again, it is su- suggested that perhaps 
Serena's IQ may, you know, far surpasses Bashir's. You know, once everything gets stabilized, she is probably going to be much more fruitful in her researches, maybe even. But yeah, and sh- and, and I don't think it will take her very long to again get up to speed on yeah. socially. She is very. She just needs to meet more. Again, Bashir's the first man she's met for pretty much. You know, she needs to meet other guys. You know, just and to figure other, out what's good. Right, and the other men that she's had access to are Jack yeah. and Patrick. Yeah, and and, and Lauren's ideas about what you know a relationship is aren't maybe the healthiest for her <laughs> at this point in her life. Lauren has ideas about relationships that she now she's into Nog. I and mean, that's, that's oh Nog. <laughs> No, I I feel bad for Nog in this episode because he's such a little ensign. I know, like I I I did kind of want them to have a scene together where he's just you know very, but again that would be sexist too. So, <laughs> Lauren giving him umox. <laughs> I don't want to see that. No, I I I want to talk a little bit about the gang because I think that that the one area of this that and again I mean I think we've said as much as we can say about Bashir. I think that. Maybe the last point I'll make about that is it is gross. It is weird. It is all all those things. Yeah. But, you know, Bashir is still respectful of, of Serena in, in terms of her physicality. I mean, he is he's still not, a Starfleet officer. Yeah, he's not forcing himself on her. He's not really. And again, I mean, you know, she's he's, she's not telling him. She's not telling him no. I think that Bashir, again, should have enough training, enough uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know enough experience to know that this is not a good idea. He's but, but he's seeing too much of what he wants to see again. He seems right. that you know he doesn't realize he sees the way she is developing intellectually. Again, she teaches herself to talk and sing arias in you know the matter of a couple hours. She's surpassing his research overnight. So you know he he sees her acting nice and then assumes that okay, well this is any other person, and you know she does. You know he probably ignores a lot of that because again he is seeing so much he is mm-hmm. as he says to miles you know he has that line like oh well we're we're super geniuses everything goes quickly when you're genetically modified <laughs> like that's stupid and again I, I i think miles is not letting bashir get away with his stupidity that much they both kind of know that he's bullshit in this yeah. but he is very much clinging to an illusion and it is unfortunate that the illusion is an actual person yeah. And I think, you know, as an aside, you know, maybe before we talk about the gang is that I, I kind of like, you know, where they're taking O'Brien and Bashir's friendship because yeah. O'Brien just kind of calls him on his shit now. And yeah. I, I think that that's something that, you know, friends should do. But also it, it makes sense for O'Brien to be doing this because I think to some degree O'Brien is not moving aside from Bashir, but he doesn't have enough as much time to spend with Bashir as he yeah. did because he has another kid now and all these yeah, kind of yeah, things. Yeah. And so he just wants to get that out of the way so that they can have more fun, I guess, in I, a way. I, I think so. I mean, the way he's – it's very similar to how he's starting to interact with Worf. At this point, O'Brien and Worf have known each other for years. And now, now at this point, Bashir and O'Brien have known each other for years. So yeah, they've – their relationship has evolved beyond their that bullshit right yeah, now. Yeah. He, he, O'Brien is somebody who, much more than Worf or uh, Bashir does at this point, knows how to handle a very long-term relationship with somebody and knows 
I mean, I, I don't think he and Keiko have that much bullshit within their relationship <laughs> either at this point. They have two kids. They don't have the time or the energy for it. So, Well, of course not because they're eating tempura. I know. Good for Keiko that she's still – you don't like tempura? So let's talk about the gang then because I don't think that there's a lot to say about them. I think, you know, to some degree they are not really real people. They are just props for the episode to have some comic relief in. But, but but the one the one moment for me that I think I, I I will I will interpret as charitable to to towards Bashir is you know when Serena does you know say look these are people that are annoying I don't really <laughs> want to be around them and I think Bashir is interpreting that as her you know maturing emotionally yeah. and maturing interpersonally because if she had wanted to still be around yeah. these people I think that would have been an, an indication that perhaps she was not as independent or ready to yeah. go out on her own as, as she otherwise may have been well you could certainly see that she does care about them they are in a way family but she can only spend so much time the you know lauren jack and patrick and serena you know pre-procedure spent all every waking hour together it seems i yeah. mean you know the and i i do think they're very there is a very nice sweetness to them again they do every you know certainly jack will get swept around by his own you know crazy ideas and patrick will just follow whoever and lauren's gonna fall in love with whoever and you they will have moments where they aren't really able to pay attention to serena and you know probably in their previous dynamic there were plenty of moments for that but at the point when they're coming they're very worried about her during the procedure they're so excited to see her they're very you know, when they're teaching her how to sing, they they are doing it so warmly and so lovingly. And so, you know, it, it's a very nice environment for her to make her first steps in. And so, I mean, I do think they do feel very worried and sad about the fact that she is going to move on. Yeah. In, in a way, like... Well, they're losing, you know, a part of their little group. Exactly. Again, they... they they are they are people who have made have massive problems, you know, due to <laughs> due to what you know. They they are people who understatement. Can, well, they can't function in normal society, and it's extremely sad. But at the same time, they 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 are people. I think yeah. they're, I think their love and affection for Serena does. Oh sure, yeah, you know, humanize I, them. Yeah, I think so. And and I mean, I don't think we ever. See see them again i mean i don't usually you know give that kind of information but yeah. it's not like that'd be a big spoiler if they came back or didn't come back you know they're not going to like win the war or anything no i mean what i assume is going to happen to them is they will have their life in the institution serena will have her life at the research center maybe she'll end up figuring out some, you know maybe her work will focus on people with genetic you know just as bashir feels a responsibility towards other people who yeah. have been genetically modified because he escaped it, mm-hmm. I, it would be very natural if that's where her, you know, research focused on. She will visit them. You know, she that they are not. It's not like they will never see each other again. But there is going to be a change. Sure, maybe and maybe there will be another fourth member of the group that they're they're going to welcome. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the other thing too that that makes me uh, uh, think of is I know that we had some discussions back in statistical probabilities about you know the institute and what it's really like yeah. and all these kind of things and um. If they can just kind of like leave for a while, it can't be that bad. Oh yeah, no, it's it's not going. I don't think it's a maximum security installation. They're not I, strapped to their beds in straitjackets. Exactly. I'm sure it has beautiful grounds. I'm sure the food is very good. I'm sure all the doctors are very patient and caring to them. And it's a 
you know, calm environment where they don't have to worry about anything and, you know, everything's kind of taken care of. But again, people like these four are probably at least high functioning enough to be left alone for most of the day. Until they leave and pretend yeah. to be Starfleet <laughs> Well, they're going to have they're, – they're getting in trouble. How in trouble they're going to get? Probably not much, but – I mean, what can they really do? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that maybe the last thing to say before we move on to uh, Treachery Faith in the Great River is – What's going on with Esri in this episode? She's a counselor. This oh, would have been a perfect a opportunity. Terrible counselor, I think. I know, but this—I mean, she fixed Garrick in After Image. She did that. Did she? She could. There could have been. I, that's that's what really gets me about it. I think is that yeah. that would have been a perfect opportunity to develop Serena as a character and to give yeah. Serena some agency in this own situation. Would be to have us. It wouldn't even have taken that much. A scene. Of just Esri and Serena talking and Esri being a counselor to her and Serena, you know, telling her some things about herself and what she wants or what she doesn't want or how she's developing or anything. Or hell, it doesn't even need to be Esri, though, because remember they have the little double date with Kira and Odo? I mean, Kira, Kira and Serena seem to, you know, get along well enough that Kira would be a fine person to talk for a few minutes. So, and, and she, Kira is not a person who believes in bullshit either. She would very quickly realize talking to Serena by herself, maybe the, the, these aren't quite, you know, maybe this, this situation isn't quite there. But how does Kira get rid of Bashir for a few minutes? Does she kill him? Uh, she has Odo envelop him in a protective shield. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's yeah. it's just another minor. There were a there. This episode depends on people not saying as much to each other because even Miles is a little more reticent about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad episode. I think that the implications are a little gross. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's again. I don't think the Bashir is being like wildly inappropriate. I don't think that he's forcing himself on Serena or anything like that. But. At the end of the day, it is just another one of those episodes of Star Trek, which makes you realize that there really should have been at least one yeah. writing, one woman on the writing staff. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. So I think more than anything, what I want in life is an Odo massage. Oh, I think that would be so would great. just be warm and ripply and like a heating pad and just liquid and oily, but like, oh. Do you think he's oily? No, but but I I think if he's doing a massage, he makes it more of an oily. Uh, oh, oh, you, oh, you're right. Be, 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 yeah, because he, he could change the way that his yeah. body feels. Oh, mm. but it wouldn't even leave any residue. Exactly. So he have to take a shower afterwards. Yeah, but Odo can turn into a shower if he wants. Hmm. No, I don't think he can actually. Why not? Because that would mean that he was separating his body, and I think as soon as pieces of his body separate, oh. he becomes a changeling goo again. I don't know. Is that true? I think so. Yeah, hmm. I think it is. Huh. I mean, I'm not a doctor of changeling biology. Well, but what I would he could do could is make a shower, but then he'd have to get other water. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So that way, you know, you just pour water into. So you need to, you know, fill it up first, but then he would like have a siphon and a. And I think it's just easier to get a real shower at this point. I, I think so. I, I actually, I think what we're really saying is that we both want to be our boyfriend. Oh. And I can see why Kira likes him. Yeah. No, I think they're. So this episode, I think, is, is I mean, it's very good, obviously. Um, I, I hope that you also think it's very good. It feels, you know, it, it's one of those episodes that in itself isn't a, like, this isn't one of those big blockbuster episodes, mm-hmm. but 
it is definitely setting out a couple of major pieces of game-changing information. Notably the fact that the changelings are apparently dying. Yes, that is happening. And I think that the open question at this point, well, there's two open questions at this point. Number one is, you know, is this the same disease that the changelings um, gave Odo at the end of the fourth season yeah or is this a different one yeah where well three questions where did it come from mm-hmm. and why isn't Odo affected yeah. you know these are big questions and we don't know what the answers are we don't know why the female changeling that's been stuck in the alpha quadrant is sick and also why all the changelings in the gamma quadrant are apparently also sick yeah. because they say that they're all dying you know so these are like weird things going on and we're not really sure what that yeah. means is it simply that Odo hasn't had contact with a changeling since this you know, started like if he linked this week with a changeling, would it happen to him? Or you know, did absorb? Because it has been, I guess. I mean, if you if you take the uh, uh, if you if you take the sort of like you know analogy that that a season of the show is about a year. Yeah, um, it has been, I guess, about a year since uh, the occupation of of DS Nine. Yeah. by the Dominion. So yeah, it would have been a while. Now, obviously, I think that this is and a- assumedly they were well at that point. The female changeling doesn't seem to be ill during that. Right. And it also doesn't seem to be progressing nearly as quickly as when Odo was was ill, because yeah. that was very very fast and mm-hmm. sudden. That was that was a sudden illness. Yeah, is it as simple as when he absorbed the baby changeling? It like inoculated him or something, or you know, is there a? I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to find out. Well, but I think that I mean, obviously, it's a, a, a an important plot device for the seventh yeah. season to reveal that the changelings are ill with this disease and they may be dying, and yeah. that would be leaving the Dominion in a power vacuum. Well, I there's think- a yeah, this is one of the possible endings for the series. Uh, what Wayu number six seems to believe is that all of the chain, you know, the, the Federation just needs to hold out, you know, especially with Wei Yun 6's information, they'll probably be able to easily do so. It needs to hold out until all the changelings die, then Odo's gonna, as the last changeling, as the one with the divine right to rule, is going to... Literally. Yeah, is going to assume his place at, at changeling planet and start directing the Dominion in a way which will be much more compatible with the Federation, uh, I, I think, yeah, I mean, the, we, we do need to get into the question of, of faith, which is at the heart of yes. this episode. And, you know, of course, we, we have a few different faiths going on because we, we have, I mean, the, the B plot with Nog is cute and we'll mention that yeah. at some point. But, you know, there's this thing about the great material continuum. Yeah, and, it's a way of making, it's a way of making Ferengi society religious in a way. It, it's giving a spiritual element to commerce i mean that sounds very nice that you know people have wants and things they have too much of and there's this karmic leveling force which ultimately makes sure that everybody has what they want i mean that sounds beautiful which to be honest i'm not i mean it's a fine idea i don't know how much i I, I don't know to what degree I buy that this major concept yeah. in Ferengi society and culture was just introduced now. We've never heard about it before. I mean, to the, some degree, that's something that shows do when they're yeah. getting into their late their late runs and they need to shake things up a little bit. So, you know, it, it, I, the only thing I can think of is maybe it's more of a fairy tale within, you know, like it's it's something uh, it, it would be like somebody talking about, you know, Never Never Land or something like that. It's not something that serious adults would ever talk about. I mean, the only really people we hear it from are 
Nog and Rom, it may be just a it may be just a legend that they like. And when Cork's talking to the Grand Nagus, he's not going to actually <laughs> talk about the Great Commerce River. He's it, gonna, it's possible. I, I mean, I you know, but that's, that's stretching. That's stretching it. That's a little yeah. That's a little bit of a stretch. You know, and obviously they're introducing this idea because they want to through line this this concept yes. of faith throughout the entire episode. I get that. You know, I I understand how television is structured, <laughs> but it, and, it, it and is, the idea that there is. In a way, I mean, a lot of the religions in Deep Space Nine aren't really theocratic in the same way that I mean, for the for the Dominion, certainly. Well, the, I was going to say, yeah, for the Dominion, it is, and they're the antagonists of the series. Uh, Bajoran's view of the prophets as a neutral or benevolent force. Um, it is more of, well, and interestingly enough, though, I, I, I don't know if the prophets are gods. Yeah, it, and it, I think it we has have to more, get into that. Because, I mean, it's more of an Eastern view of religion is what Bajor tends to be, and Bajor is um, to the east of Earth, so it makes sense. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> well, there is no such thing as There's East, no in, East space. in space. No, I, I think that's yeah, because I think that we do need to grapple with the idea of of gods in this episode. Also, the idea of faith. Yeah. You know, whether or not you can have faith in something that is not a god, whether you can. Yeah. There's a lot of. I mean, how how do you want to start this? Because I think that well, that you know you're I guess... you're you're seeing this fresh. You know, I've thought about these things before. So well, I, I I think this idea of Odo potentially taking over the the Dominion has to be a major point. I mean, it's not a. This is one of the possible places that the entire series has been leading to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the entire point of the wormhole aliens versus prophets distinction is the early seasons of this have um have made us very comfortable in a way with the idea that any being which is sufficiently advanced can be viewed as divine in some way, whether it is a god, whether it is mm-hmm. a prophet, whatever. I mean, that was kind of where Q even was in, in in Next Generation. These are more serious ways of looking at the concept of a Q, for example. That is why Q himself didn't really work in DS9 at all. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, actually. You know, whether or not, I, 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 you know, faith is what transforms. I mean, we see Jedzia. Jedzia is, has always been somebody who called them wormhole aliens. Yeah. When she finds that she's about to have a baby, when she's in the temple dealing with that, this right before she's killed, she's starting to deal with the, well, gee, I always thought you would view as wormhole aliens, but, you know, maybe you do have some kind of influence. Maybe there is, maybe I don't really fully understand the nature of this. She is beginning to, she was beginning to have faith until she died at, at the moment she died. And, and so therefore the transformation of aliens into prophets was beginning to take shape. Similarly, we have the idea of Odo, who is somebody who always thought of himself as just a security officer. I mean, he is somebody who has literally created himself, who has, essentially emerged as a being from a blob of goo really that's how that's that's Oda's existence he can get advanced to a point where he can be viewed by others as gods if their faith is strong enough well yes and no i i I think that there's a couple things going on here which is number one Odo has become i think more and more uh, open receptive yeah comfortable with the idea of a religious faith because of his relationship with yeah. Kira. And, and you know, if you remember back from from even like an episode uh, uh, like The Reckoning, uh, for example, where, you know, Oda was open to that because yeah. it was important to Kira. Yeah. And, and, and Odo is definitely someone who 
seems to come around to things that are important to people that he cares about. I mean, let, let Cisco also is is a major, I would say, influence on and Cisco because Cisco has also had his own journey of mm-hmm. accepting his status. Odo's Odo's view of accepting himself as a founder rather than just simply a changeling is very similar to Cisco becoming the emissary. Yeah, yeah. And which, I, and which I, came through Cisco's own development of faith. Yeah, I think so. And 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 of course, it's a little different because Odo is is viewed as a god by the Jemadar and the Vorta, and and yeah. know, Cisco is not a god, no. but but he is part prophet or you know whatever the hell again is going divine on divine. I think is a way of get, getting it that doesn't necessarily mean god, right? And I think that that what's really I mean well, I don't know because. The thing that I always come back to with this episode and what I keep thinking about is, you know, Wayun Six was the defective changeling, the one who was questioning yeah. the the founders, questioning whether or not the Dominion should win the war, and was really coming around to this idea that the Federation should win the war, that Odo should be the one yeah. who and maybe maybe he was partially questioning this because his gods are ill and yeah. what gods get sick. You know what gods can die. This is a this is a conception of God that doesn't really make a lot of sense, and it was genetically programmed into them. Yeah. Now, I I do think that you know obviously Odo is is not comfortable with this. I think that he's getting more comfortable with it, and I think you see that most explicitly at the end of the episode when he does give the dying Wayun Six his blessing. If he doesn't believe it, he at least recognizes the importance of this to Wayun Six, and he's at least able to pretend enough to be a, he is able to shape shift into a god for the moment that it takes well, to give six his blessing right because really what what does it hurt him to do it? yeah you know he's not being dishonest with himself and it's giving comfort to the dying way in six so why not do it i mean it, it, it what well what if one believes in blasphemy then yes it is an extraordinarily wrong thing for him but to can, do. A, can a god commit blasphemy well that's it yeah um he, he Either either Odo is just pretending and it doesn't really matter, or he is a god and he has the right to do this. So you're right. It is a – it doesn't hurt him either way. I mean, um, you know, you know, my position on this, of course, is that Odo was not a god. But, no. But, you know, and I – But, I, but he, he, he becomes an extraordinarily important figure to uh, – I, I mean, anybody who would say to – a boss can say to their employee, like, you know, you did a very good job. You know, I'm very – you served me. What, you know, that kind of a thing. And They can say that, but they don't because we live in capitalism. Yeah. But and, – and also who the hell would say it that way. But um, Odo is able to even – does have that because Odo uh, – because Wayun Six did serve him well. He did – sure, know, he is sure. grateful to what Wayun Six – he does recognize that – and I guess so. I guess the difference is what is the difference between just good job, son, and being a god giving a blessing? Mm-hmm. If if for Wei Yun it was faith that you know changed that, does it really matter? Well, I mean, yes, but yeah. Well, we're dealing he, here's the fun of dealing with metaphysics, right? <laughs> oh, it's so fun. <laughs> well, look, let's look at it this way because you know part of of obviously you know the, the question of faith is is at the heart of of this show, I think, and obviously a big part of that is is the Bajoran religion, is the prophets, is yeah. this new concept of the Pa Wraith. Now we've already seen an idea that now, of course, the prophets are not gods; they yes. are worshipped by the Bajorans, but they are not. 
gods and what does what does that mean now i'm also not sure if worship is the proper term i think venerated venerate is yeah a, that yeah yeah, that, the, yeah. The, the prophets seem to have a similar role that saints do in you know catholicism for example except there is no god figure right and i think that that, that as an end in itself is enough for a religion. Yeah. You know, I don't think that a religion needs to have a God at its core. But what I'm really getting at is, is I'm thinking about this question of what would it really mean for Odo to say, yes, accept his role as mm-hmm. a God to, uh, to the people of the Dominion, to the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar, perhaps not to the other people of the Dominion, because what would they care? Huh. But... Um, is it naive on Wei Six's part to think that, you know, if all the other changelings die out and Odo's the only one left, if the, if if Odo tells them to go against everything the Dominion has stood for and to completely revamp their society, culture, their belief systems, what what they really value as a culture, would the Jem'Hadar and the Vorta go along with that? Yeah. And the other part of that is, I think... That's a similar question to what Bajor is asking itself right now because they have this whole cult of the Pa Wraith going on. Oh, yeah. And so we see Bajor getting not split because it doesn't seem like the cult of the Pa Wraith is that large. No, and in no way do is... I believe that the Pa Wraiths are going to win in that plot line. But no, it this is... is still Star Trek after all. The Jem'Hadar... We've seen them time and time again hit up against that wall of, is this right? Are the founders leading us to the right place? Are we where they go? I, and yet they're never able to fully rebel against that. I don't think it's impossible to be able to, you know, most of the Jem'Hadar are going to rail against their programming and be unable to, you know, change that. And then the rest of them would probably be okay with whatever uh, changes Odo makes. I think Odo is going to make it easier for the Jem'Hadar to be who they want to be. Because yeah. the Jem'Hadar, we have seen, you know, yes, they may want battle, but they're going to t- – Odo will make sure the right of the white is taken seriously. If that pla- – if it's simply placating the Jem'Hadar, I think he can do that. Yeah. The I- Vorta are able to make, as we see in this episode – these weird little calculi of, well, he's not really a founder or, yeah. you know, he he's the only founder himself. I serve or, you know, they are able to make these rationalizations. I don't think the Jem'Hadars, we see them have, for the most part, been able to get to that point. Yes. And which, I, granted, which, is because the Dominion have refused to let them, but... Which is also interesting in light of, of Chrysalis, of course, because one of our criticisms of that episode was that the character of Serena was shown to, to really have a, a, no agency, and we didn't really get a sense of who she was as a person. Yeah. And that's kind of the same criticism you could make of, not this episode, because I think this episode takes that into consideration, but this yeah. idea that the founder, the founders essentially are using the Jem'Hadar and the Vorta, Vorta as instruments of their own will to project their values and beliefs yeah. onto the galaxy at large. And if Odo takes that role, if all, let, let's yeah. let's you know game this out and say all of the founders die, every single founder has the disease and will die. Yeah, Odo is Odo. Odo is immune for whatever reason. He sucked up the changeling baby or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he eats his Wheaties all the time, whatever the reason is. He massages well. He's he's massaged it all out. Right. Where, where does that end? Because if Odo takes up the mantle as the only god remaining, yeah. is it hypocritical of Odo to then 
use the same means that the other founders have used, which is using their, you know, projecting their will onto the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar as gods. In this, if Odo does that, but only in the service of Federation values, yeah, is that a good thing? I guess what I'm asking is, do the ends justify the means? Yeah, and I think I I think there is no easy way of answering that question, at especially not at this point, and which is kind of the point of it. I mean, w- what I find very significant is they you know they touch on the fate versus free will distinction, yeah. Uh, Odo is saying to Wei you know, they they've built this into you, you know, you're not really feeling this faith towards them. And in a way, Wei Yun takes that as further proof of his faith, because he says, you know, well, yeah, what kind of god would make people who didn't worship it? Like obviously he's a obviously the founders are gods because they programmed us to have faith in them. Uh yeah. And which from Depending on which denomination, which is kind of a tautology, but you know, but you know, depending on what branch of Christianity you're in, they may find the they find the concept of free will extraordinarily important because the gift of because faith means nothing if it's programmed in. Well, that I think that's actually a really good point because I I, I think that you see the fundamental difference between um, if you take the three elements of faith in this episode, the the, the Frankie faith, the Bajoran faith, and, yeah. and, and the Dominion faith, um, I, I think that the question of free will is, is at the core of the Bajoran faith. I think that the question of, of free will is at the core of the Frankie faith because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, they uh, don't believe in, um, in, in in coercing people necessarily. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, it's a very – it's libertarian in the way that, like, we're going to let the market decide and, you know, we're not act- – nobody's actually – you know, controlling this is just people have needs and wants and, you know, it happens. Yeah. But that question of, of, of free will is really irrelevant to the core of the Dominion faith. And I, I don't I don't mm-hmm. think that the founders care. Yeah. And I don't think that the Jem'Hadar or the Vorta would choose to worship them if they were not genetically programmed to. Well, it, and I, yeah. And, and, I, and I also – the final thing before before I um, uh, let you follow up yeah. on that is is there there is an open question at this point to, to what the – clients client states of the dominion yeah. would do in this sort of situation you know because the those dominion, red people from the pell episode well right exactly i mean there's no indication that that the other species in the dominion that are members of the dominion only because uh huh. the dominion has come with their Jem'Hadar ships and said hey give us all your wheat or we're gonna murder you yeah um they probably wouldn't care I, also you know let's not forget that cardassia is a member state of the dominion yeah. so what would they do you know there's no indication that damar believes that the founders are gods no so this I is think- really yeah, I mean, Demar is de- Demar is developing into a very interesting character, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I didn't expect that at all, but um, I think he right he's turning out to be very good at what he does, and I think Demar is very much on a cusp between he could be a very excellent professional number two in that he will always be the assistant. He's not actually ruling, but right. he's the one with all the power right now. Um, I think he could, you know, that or he could be waiting for a way to make a moment. I mean, I think if if. L- let me put it this way: If well, he killed. Well, we don't know that he killed <laughs> Wayun Five, but no, he just had Wayun Five <laughs> killed in uh, a transporter accident. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you can't prove otherwise. Um, let me put it this way: If the Dominion loses the war, 
Federation comes in and, you know, does their thing to restore this. You know, DeMar will be able to plead, you know, I was just doing my job. Right, right. And the Federation is going to probably let him be in charge, even if he's under some Federation supervision, which is probably going to be, again, a Federation prison camp is seen seen as a, a fine end for many of these characters. So... I think Damar being the head of Cardassia with the Federation around is a really cushy job for him. I yeah, I think uh, so. I was just going to say, as an aside, you're going to be really excited because in the pilot episode of Voyager, we actually do get to see a Federation prison. Oh, good, and it's beautiful. Aw, um, yeah, I think that's true. And I, mean, I, 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 yeah, I think that's where Damar. I don't know why he keeps trying to force Kanar on. Uh, Wayun Seven. I don't know if it's because he wants a drinking buddy or because he wants to, you know. I think he just likes needling Wayun. Yeah. I think he likes trying to corrupt Wayun. I think he yeah. likes trying to undermine uh, uh, Wayun as well. I mean, maybe you know, maybe part of the <laughs> maybe it's poisoned. I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe maybe Damar is Damar is probably just going to figure out ways of getting all the Wayuns killed one by one. Sure, and he has enough dirt on probably all of them to be able to officially get their stuff retroact their deaths retroactively sanctioned because i mean if he uh, way in number seven all he needs to do is say to a founder well he tried to have them fire on odo right right and way number seven is gone until he finds a pliable way well interestingly enough though they they do cover for each other. Wayun and and Wayun Seven As, and Damar mm. cover for each other when the female changeling comes in because if you remember, she does ask like fire on who? What's going yeah. on? And they're both like ah cool, don't worry about it. And and so I think that that's interesting because you know to you know to kind of like to 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 go back to that concept of faith again is is you know what does it mean to lie to your God and can you lie to your God yeah. and apparently if your God is a physical presence that is standing right there in front of you you obviously can I don't know that um, I mean I'm not well versed in in Judeo Christian mythology but. I would assume that you can't lie to God if, because God knows what's in your heart or whatever. I mean, people try to, and it never ends very well. But, I mean, I think the—hell, the, the uh, hell, Adam and Eve lie about, you know, where they got, you know, about the serpent and being naked, and they try to hide from God. Like, so there are examples, you yeah, know, in, in yeah. the Bible of yeah. that, and they're always dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it does—it's not— well, it's not Damar's moment yet because if we're, because if he had again if he and if he immediately if he tells on Wayun Seven to the female changeling, then it becomes their word against you know his word against theirs. You know what what are you talking about? There's a changeling in that ship. You didn't tell me there was a changeling on that ship, Damar. You know, and and it's going to end with both of them getting summarily executed. Mm-hmm, Damar mm-hmm. is not. I don't think Demar Demar's starting to prove himself to not be that dumb. So yeah, I think he's yeah. good if he knows that the changelings are ill, which he notices immediately. I think he's he he can be patient. Things aren't bad for him yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess that that's all true. And I think that the the, the other thing to to talk about is, um, you know, w- what does it really mean to kill a founder? Like, what kind of crime is that? Is that such an unforgivable crime that that the founders can't even conceive that mm. they would do that ever? That they have no punishment for it in mind? You know, I don't know. And I think that. You know, it's almost like it's it's a twofold thing because, of course, they are physically killing a, a living being, but it's also a, a, a crisis of faith. Well, I mean, w- 
the well, remember when the Dominion it's were cr- de- the Dominion were dealt with that when Odo killed another changing. Remember they had to deal yes, with that as a core for si- because they found that to be. But I think that that's that would be a very different. But, that's that's a very oh, different yes. thing from Avorta. Oh yes, it certainly it. would be, and I think they again this concept of defective Vortas. I don't think it's. Uh, it has been heard of that at least one Vorta at some point has killed a changeling. They've described him as uh, defective. As we see this I- activating this implant is extremely painful. I'm sure that— Well, well, let's not forget, though, that, that it's way in seven, the non-defective Vorta, that is— contemplating murdering odo it's not way in sex no no so so but i mean like just even activating this implant is extremely painful for way in six so i think that if the changelings actually catch a border who's actually they're gonna figure out a way of making it even more painful like i think it's going to involve a hell of a lot of torture sure and maybe the death of that entire line of way you know what i mean like the Wayun line in general, Wayuns are very proud of their labor. Yeah, all of the all of the lines of change of Warda seem to be proud of their line and seem to at least feel like, well, if if this clone dies, you know, there'll be another one. And I I wouldn't think the changelings would want that to continue. I once did a line of Wayun limelight in the bathroom at limelight. Yeah. No, I I, I think that's right. Um, you turned into a pile of goo. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and I, I think maybe we should. You know, it's an interesting conversation, and certainly I think that that we could talk about it for another hour, but, you know, we both have things to do. Um, Uh, I guess the last thing I do want to mention is we hear the origin of the Vorta. Yeah, that's true. It was similar to how I kind of imagined in that they find, you know, the Vorta are found in a primordial form. They shelter one of the changelings who's being pursued by the solids. Again, we have this. Every time I've mentioned the changelings believe that they were persecuted by solids to a point, you always, you're very much at the, well, that doesn't really, and I'm, I'm with you. They, that this, what, whatever right they had for being persecuted, they have turned into the people who at age 30 go and murder people who bullied them in high school. Right. And so, and also, frankly, I mean, I I don't know to what degree you can really take the story that Wayun Six tells as factual truth. But if there is a kernel to it in that, I mean, they do talk about how they're a prey race basically you can see the founders having some sympathy towards that and elevating them to this position still with the changelings in front but uh again i always believe that the vorda and the jamhadar had been modified heavily mm. from from some position they weren't just created from scratch again i think with, if we had dominion occupation of the alpha quadrant in several centuries we would see very different versions of klingons and ferengi and all of that yeah possibly and i also think you know the the other thing to say about that you know maybe before we wrap this episode up is that um we never really talked about the knock storyline but no you know, it was funny end of discussion it, again it, it, it it's based or it, in some ways it's a it reminds me of the self-sealing stem bolts from very early on yeah, yeah. in that it's Nog navigating this chain of trade that's very Byzantine. And it's, it is it is a very funny – I love the part where O'Brien makes this terrible desk and all of that. You know, that, that It's just amusing. And I think you need that yes. lightness to the, to the episode to really make it work. Because otherwise, it would have been, you know, perhaps yeah. a little bit too of a, too much of a slog. But at the same, at the same time, that I do like that the show finds.
finds good things about the Ferengi from time to time. And again, Nog, yeah. Nog, based on his sympathies and the fact that he is in this in Starfleet, you know, has a very different view of being a Ferengi. But at the same time, uh, the Ferengi view of capitalism can be used for good. Yeah, it's everybody. Everybody who ends up being touched by Nog's, you know, dealing in this, ew, um, ends up better off. Even yeah. Martok gets a better vintage. Yeah, sure. Well, and I think you know that that's all true. And I think that, that maybe the last thing I want to say before we wrap this episode up is, you know, going back to the site, the idea, of the Vorta origin story, right? Is that the origin? The origin is that the founders' whole concept, you know, was like they were, you know, unilaterally persecuted by the yeah. solids. No one was ever nice to them. But their origin story yes. that they gave to the Vorta was that the changelings were being persecuted by some solids and the Vorta, primordial Vorta, helped them. So yeah. so even that is poking holes into this, you know, uh, 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 construction mythology that the, the changelings have made for themselves and for the Dominion. Well, it doesn't – and it, in a way, they, it doesn't need to be – Convince it doesn't need to convince people logically because well sure you know the, either everybody's programmed or terrified you know, the, the, the the again whatever whether or not the changelings had a right to need to protect themselves needed to band together mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. you know strengthen again we, you know one could charitably say yes they have the right to protect their sovereignty and their existence sure but at some point they go from being prey to predator and. I think that's where the uh, Im- that's where the original sin of the founders is, if you want to use that kind of a terminology. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think that's also time to end this episode. Okay. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, Chrysalis or Treachery, Faith, and the Great River, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com/truckaboutshow which supports us and our other podcasts tuning in in two days. We are releasing episode Ooh. 24. Oh my God. On the United States of Tower episodes, doing time and Toronto, your favorite episode, my favorite episode, which is not true. <gasps> We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, truck about show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review. It is the it best is... way to get new listeners to listen to our podcast it is two days after christmas and it would be a great late christmas present it for is you to give us an itunes review for truck about it's also four days before my birthday and uh 18 and after yours 48 days until we go to the camps yes for president trump i love camping all right. Well, next week we are going to be talking about the DS9 episodes Once More Unto the Breach and The Siege of AR558. <gasps> Sounds intense.